Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's chat on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. This is Josh. With me, as always, is Luca. Luca, how are you doing today? Um, can we say that was a wild weekend of wild card action here, Josh? Super uh, wild. Super, yeah, I was gonna. I was, oh, man, you beat me to it. Did I jump super on your joke? wild card weekend was absolutely electric. Uh, at times frightening. Um, all the things above. It gave it gave the people every emotion you could possibly throw out there and just experience. And then you had the losing sides. Luckily for us, we all just we're going to discuss a game where we were not on the losing side. It just never always felt that comfortable the entire way, seemingly. So yeah, let's, uh, doing good, though. Doing good. Sorry. I don't mean to stop there, but I'll stop there. No, you're good. Let's get it. Let's get into it, because the Bills do advance to the divisional round 34 to 31 with a victory over the Miami Dolphins, a victory that was probably much closer than a lot of us expected this game to be after the Dolphins announced that Tua would not be playing and it would be third string rookie seventh round pick Skylar Thompson starting for the Dolphins. Luca, this was an interesting game. We were talking about this a little bit off the air. The score is scary. The situations where the Dolphins took the lead were scary. The Bills came out second half with a three-point lead on their first drive. There's a sack fumble for a touchdown, and the Dolphins take the lead in the second half, and you're just, you can't help but think, what is going on? But when you look under the hood of this game, I feel like there was more chaos than actual execution by the Dolphins. And I think some of that chaos led to the fact that this game was closer than it really should have been. And, and we're going to get into all of it, but I, I don't want to cheat those listeners out there. I always ask you this to start a postseason or a post game show, excuse me. Um, what were your thoughts when this game went final? I guess when they came back from the two minute warning commercial break and had ruled that Devin Singletary got the first down and it was obvious at that point, the bills were going to win. What was going through your mind? Uh, thank God this is over. <laughs> what was going through my mind is thank God we're about to finally see zeros on there and we are on the winning side because chaos is a perfect per if you had to one word describe this game, chaos is that word. It it was so weird too because you know we'll talk about the start probably not much at all, and it just felt like it was going exactly how you would expect it. Everyone in the stands, Dolphins or Bills fans, anyone watching at home, Dolphins or Bills fan, probably expected that start to a teat perfectly. That's what I expect here. It was just the Bills seemed to be doing well. Skylar Thompson was struggling at the point where it almost, uh, Romo made a comment that people in my living room were making fun at, deservingly so. He tried to call an incomplete pass, throwing out of bounds a good incomplete pass. It was almost like he was just forcing a way to compliment Skylar Thompson early on to draw interest to the casual viewer. Um, it seemed okay. But then all of a sudden, it was that moment where the Khalil Shakir drop happened. You know, it seemed like it was a catch at live speed. You look at it. It's absolutely, you know, not a catch. Everyone, I'm sure, agrees with that. We all know it. It's, it's It sucks. I don't know how he doesn't catch that, unfortunately, but he doesn't. And that was the moment it became a game. And it was like that first moment, you're like, damn, that stinks. And then the next play was that punt from that moment on where he returned that 50 yards back into our end at the 27, I believe it was. And they were in scoring position. And in that game there, that is when we unfortunately recognized the chaos beginning. And boy, was it chaos all the way through to the end. And again, as your question asked, how was I feeling when we finally got to the kneel down points, which by the way, 
I totally, we got to kneel down and I'm like, they're going to Greg Schiano this thing. Like oh, 100%. Yeah. The way this game is going, it's like, we're about to, it may be not the full Greg Schiano where they really are taking out your kneecaps, but they're obviously going to press right as you're going to snap it. And there was a little chatter going on. The cameras picked up between uh, Allen mm-hmm. and uh, why am I blanking out his name? Christian Wilkins. Wilkins yeah. Uh, it was just randomly blank. Uh, it's late here, people. So you got to work with us. We we're recording after the Bengals game ended. So um, it was just like, thank you. It's at zeros. I'm glad chaos is over. And I just need like I needed the Vikings Giants game to just mentally recalibrate and come down from the anxiety and the emotions and everything going on. And I was just so happy that I didn't need to live in that world of chaos anymore. And we fortunately came out with that win and um, it was anything but comfortable, of course. So the way it started was chef's kiss. Perfect. The bills go up 17 to nothing. And really they're up 14 to nothing. When the first mistake of a large chain of mistakes happens, uh, Josh Allen hits what looks like a touchdown pass to Dawson Knox, his second of the day, and replay shows that the ball barely touches the ground. I thought that the replay, um, because it was ruled a touchdown on the field, wasn't conclusive enough to overturn it. But I do know the NFL is really trying to pr- protect the how sacred the ground is. And if the ball hits it, they're going to try to make that call. And then the Bills get a field goal, but nowhere in your brain at that point are you thinking, okay, the Bills are up 17 to nothing. The Dolphins can't get out of their own end. And we talked about on Built-In Buffalo Live on Friday, the one path to the Dolphins here outside of chaos, you know, fakes, turnovers, that some of that happened, we'll get into it, was Hill and Waddle and maybe even Mike Giusecki being such good weapons that they're able to just make plays for their quarterback. He may not give them the best ball, but he'll give them opportunities and they can go play like the superstars they are in Hill and Waddle's case. And Luca in the first quarter, it was anything but that. There were situations where Skylar Thompson hit Jalen Waddle on a deep ball and it bounces off of his chest. There was a Tyreek Hill drop, something you almost never see. And and then there was a Mike Jacecki drop and the bills were up 17 to nothing. And I believe it was the second time Waddle dropped a pass. And I even tweeted out the Dolphins chances coming into this game were slim to none. And if their playmakers aren't going to go above and beyond and make plays, slim is leaving the building. And then of course, at that point, the Dolphins start to come back slowly, but surely, but man, early on Luca, I, I got so comfortable that I actually kind of got out of my game day routine where normally I'm like sitting on the couch. I got my phone next to me so I can tweet out some stuff from our podcast account. I'm taking notes for stuff I want to talk about on the podcast. And um, I started doing laundry. I start, I mean, I was not leaving the room, but I was sitting there folding laundry. Like I was much more relaxed. I was just like, okay, this is going to be an easy, you know, kick your legs up kind of thing. And I actually was starting to think, I wonder how early McDermott's going to pull Allen if the, if this continues oh. to go like this. And I mean, at 17 to nothing, if you didn't have the thought that this game was going to avalanche into something that looked, you know, chaotic, I, I think you're kidding yourself. Um, I don't think anybody saw the Dolphins coming back and taking the lead. Um, are you going to tell me you saw it coming? No, 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 no. I didn't see <laughs> the chaos coming. What I'm going to say is this. I yeah. am shocked that you got out of a game day routine for the playoffs. But what I will add to that, Josh is there's part of me and I'm sure plenty of others out there because it was going exactly as expected. Mm -hmm. I almost wonder if the psyche of the players and the psyche of the coaches also started to follow that same trend. And that's ultimately, if you check off just a little bit, 
it doesn't take much. This is still a professional league in the playoffs. This is a team that earned the right to be in the playoffs when I'm talking about the Miami Dolphins, even with Skyler Thompson. And guess what? They will make you pay if you're checked off. And that's kind of the mentality, or at least I always make sure I have sat through enough games in my fandom life, both in the NFL and others, where the impossible can happen. The unlikely can happen. Anything can happen. I will never, as a fan, leave a game early because I almost did that. This is a weird thing to bring up, but I think it's a perfect example to bring up right now. For the first time in my life, I was at a game and I was about to leave early because it was over. The situation was, the game was Arizona State at USC. A minute 40 left. ASU has no timeouts and was down 13 points. For all intents and purposes, that game is over, especially considering, guess what? USC has the ball. They then proceed to throw it three times. Do not get the first down. Punt it. The next play, ASU gets a touchdown out of nothing for 70-something yards. They kick it off, and they do not get the ball back from that point on the kickoff. USC proceeds to throw it three more times again, and ASU gets a Hail Mary to win the game. I literally left my seat, walked down the tunnel, saw the first of those two touchdowns on a TV, and sprinted back and swore from that point on, I will never leave a game and never check off my fandom again. And I feel like it's perfect example of why then in this living room, Josh, I did not have a similar mindset as you. It's like, look, this is a playoff game. This is a team that earned the right to be here. I'm not going to disrespect them in the first quarter. Like that just, look, something will happen. I respect enough of the Dolphins in a sense of they will do something at some point in time. There's no way you never see other than Big Ben's farewell game that we saw in the 2-7 matchup with Kansas City last year. I have never watched a playoff game in my life or I guess the other two seven that happened in 2020 with Mitch Trubisky, where it really was just a, this is an unbelievably stupid game that we're watching right now. But other than those moments, it's like teams generally do something, something happens. And until we get to late third, early fourth, and that trend has gotten us all the way through to that point in time, I will not check off. I'm not going to change my routine. I'm going to do my thing. I would expect them to be professionals on the field as well and do the same. But I think what you just brought up there, and this is, I did not expect you to say that at all, Josh. I'm genuinely shocked that you changed how you watched a game for once. In a I mean, I, I went from sitting on the couch to sitting on the floor in front of the TV and went from looking at my phone, updating Twitter to folding clothes while staring at my TV. So it's not it, like I left the room. It. You can't change it. You got to stick to the game plan. You got to stick to the game plan. And that's the whole thing, right? You got to mm -hmm. stick to your guns. You got to stick to the game plan. And yeah, as soon as you switch off just a little bit, chaos mm -hmm. can ensue and all of a sudden all hell breaks loose and you have no idea what's going on. So didn't mean to step in there, Josh, but like I lost my game face. Yeah. And, and I the think Bills lost their game face. I was going to say, and I think it's almost perfect. I think that's literally perfect. I'm shocked that you did that. But at the same time, <clears throat> it's fitting. It's fitting. Like, because I, mean, I do think part of that did happen with the players and coaches as well today. I got laundry caught up. I can, I can tell you that. Um, I, I think there's some validity to that. And, you know, it's one of those things where sometimes um, when discussions are had after a game, um, you can talk about things that you can never really prove. It just kind of shapes the story. So you can say like the Jacksonville Chargers game, for instance, like, 
oh, the Chargers just stopped trying hard or Jacksonville wanted it more in the second half, like things like that. There's really no way to equate like who wants it more. Are we trying to are we trying to say that like Joey Bosa didn't want it more or did Jacksonville just make more plays? Um, So I always hesitate to make that kind of analysis. But watching this game today, it did feel like even before the game started. And look, I will tell you, I am not a body language guy. I am not a like feelings guy. I, I very much just try to try to stay in the lane of what I can um, tangibly say I know. But BuffaloBills.com puts out pictures of players coming to the stadium every week. And I, I'm, you know, I love it. I just kind of like, oh, yeah, there's our guys. There's Josh Allen flashing the thumbs up. He's wearing a really cool jacket. But there was something about those pictures today. And it was before the game even kicked off that just kind of caught me off guard. And it was like the smiles on the Bills' faces. They just looked a little too comfortable. And and I can't really equate what it is, but it's like they're coming into a playoff game and it looked like they were walking into like a, a Chuck E. Cheese. And like they were just like super relaxed and super ha- And you want your team to be relaxed, but like the one person who wasn't looking relaxed was McDermott. Like he had like a scowl on his face. And then I was even thinking like, I wonder if he senses his team may not have their full game face on. I don't know. It doesn't have to mean anything, but it's just, I'm just telling you how I felt. Was there a particular mistake where, where you started to really question of, oh man, this could get away from them here? Because I, I do want to line up the mistakes here that did lead to the Dolphins um, taking the lead. And let's take the um, fumble return out of it for, for now, because that was the one that really kind of was the straw that broke the camel's back and gave the Dolphins the lead. But it started off with a knock drop in the end zone. Shakir dropped a deep ball in the second quarter that ended up forcing the Bills to punt. Uh, Cole Beasley drops a pass. It was knocked away by the corner, but ends up being picked off by the Dolphins. They get the ball in in Buffalo territory. Um, The interception Josh Allen threw when targeting John Brown. Tony Romo tried to say that John Brown ran ran the wrong route. I still went back and watched it a couple times. Only we have the TV copy right now. It's hard to see what Josh Allen thought that John Brown was going to do where it seemed like a good idea to throw that ball. Was there a particular mistake not counting the fumble return for a touchdown before that that really stands out to you as like, man, that was really avoidable? Um, the the John Brown one is a great one. I don't think he, Tony Romo, it, I mean, Tony Romo did not have a great game. This was definitely a game, both Romo and Nance. I was like, are we watching the same game one and two? Where is this commentary even going? But I don't. we don't need to talk about that. Commentary is commentary. I don't, he, I don't think he was saying he was running the wrong route. He just kind of quit on it, but Allen thought he was still going to be running on it. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of with you as well, though. Even if John Brown didn't quit on the route at all and he was full sprint going down that right side, it still seemed like the corner was right on him. It's not like he was a step behind and then slowed up because he thought it was out of it. It's Yeah, I don't, I don't buy all of that. I think that's a great one. I think the question you present here, though, is a fascinating one. The mistake that you really thought it wasn't going our way, because like I brought up earlier, the Shakir drop is really where you can fully go. This is when chaos ensued, when the game became a game, because the immediate after that is a 50 yard punt return for Miami. They get it into our uh, territory. They actually have a three and out that, but they still get that field goal to make it 17 nine. And you're like, okay, it's a one score game. Oh, in a weird way, how is this a one-score game right now? Because mm-hmm. at that point in time, I don't even know what their total yards were at, at that point, but I would be shocked if it was more than, say, 110. So it was like, oh, my goodness, how are we here? But then that interception after it, and it is the one that hits Cole Beasley's chest. 
Cole Beasley didn't do anything wrong. I feel like that's more of a, the, the corner may have gotten there a hair early, but it's a bang, bang. No one would ever expect that to be flagged. That's I'm okay with that. Not being flagged. He just made a good jump on the play. And then they luckily had, I believe it was Javon Holland there to pick it off and then do what he could with it from there. That was the moment where I finally was like, okay, things are going on right now that are outside of the control of we're better than them. The dolphins are getting the bounces. The dolphins are getting that situation for them. And even at times they were getting very lucky and fortunate that these officials were very slow on calling delay of games, because that's also another subject <laughs> all game that we do not have to talk about, but man, were they slow to call delay of games? Like I get not wanting to call too many penalties in a game, but you mm-hmm. need to do, you need to do ones or at least call it the same way as you would in a regular season game. When it comes to something like delay of game, you know, fall starts, those ones where it's like pre-snap fouls and stuff. I'm okay with letting holdings go a little bit more. I'm okay with letting bang, bang defensive things go on. But those like, I'm trying to think of the word that I'm not thinking of right now, but just the pre-snap stuff, those kinds of things that are easily avoidable and a team should never be doing in this particular situation. You got to be flagging those. But anyways, the interception by Javon Holland is really when I finally had that turn because eventually then four plays later, they get a touchdown. It's a tie game. And again, I said, at that point in time, when they got the field goal, if they're at 100 yards, I'd be shocked. They, it only took them 18 more yards to then tie the game up. When you're thoroughly outplaying them in the yardage category, and yet it's a tie game, that's when you really have to question if the bounces are going your way. And they just were not. We went into halftime with a lead. We had a drive that we were able to get a field goal out of. But still, that interception was like this game is not going our way when it comes to the bounces or the luck or whatever you want to call it. And that was the moment, Josh, that I kind of answer your question here with, because it's at the fault of no one. And I think that's the key of it. It wasn't Khalil Shakir dropping the ball. It wasn't John Brown quitting on a route, whatever you want to call that, or Josh Allen making a questionable decision. I mean, it's a tough throw for Allen to make, but Beasley's there. It goes off his chest just be and bounces up because the defender, like I said, made a nice play or a break on the ball or a break on the receiver, I guess, in this case. And then it just fortunately popped to that safety. No one's directly at fault, but that's the moment where you're like, bounces are not going our way. So you kind of have to tighten it up. You have to make sure you limit the mistakes that you force because if the bounces aren't going your way, you already know there's probably something else on the dock later in the game when it's really not going to go your way. So please do not just hand it to them on top of that. Unfortunately, there were more issues that came about later on, and it was just it snowballed from there. Um, not at the cost of the game, but boy, that was the moment where it really seemed it wasn't going to go our way with luck. Yeah, so it was a one-score game, but when you really dive into it, it, it wasn't that close when it comes to on-the-field performance. The Bills significantly outgained the Dolphins today. The Bills had 423 total net yards. The Dolphins only had 231. Josh Allen had 352 yards passing, three touchdowns. He only had 20 yards rushing. I do want to talk about that in a second, but think about what Josh Allen's day would look like if Khalil Shakir just hangs onto that ball or Dawson Knox hangs onto that ball. You have a fourth touchdown in there and another 30, 40 yards on his stat line. Really nice day from, from Josh Allen, despite some of the mistakes. But when you look at what happened in this game, We talked about on Built in Buffalo Live, the path for Miami, a 13-point underdog, to beat the Bills was chaos. The equalizers that are turnovers. And when you have 
three offensive turnovers. You have a drop touchdown by Dawson Knox, a dropped um, third down play to Khalil Shakir that would have been 40 yards, setting the Bills up on the doorstep of the end zone, things like that that keep them in the game. I had forgotten all about the, the long punt return in the chaos. In my notes that I put about things, it, it seemed like special teams didn't have their best game today. Um, Jason Sanders has been a very inconsistent kicker for the Dolphins today, and he was putting it right down the middle every time he kicked the ball. It did feel like the Dolphins had um, Lady Luck on their side today, and that's fine. Um, and I think when you look at all of that, when you add it all up and you put it in there and you look at all the mistakes the Bills made, you should be happy that they won the game. And there's, there is no style points in the playoffs. And I know a lot of people like to say, well, if they play like this next week against the Bengals, um, they're not going to beat the Bengals. Well, one, the Bengals just gutted out a win against the Ravens, who were also playing without their star quarterback. And they needed the flukiest of fluke return touchdowns on defense to win that game. There's probably on a Cincinnati Bengals postgame show tonight, somebody saying, if you play like that against Buffalo next week, you're not going to have a chance against Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. So try to take yourself out of the situation of only focusing on the bills and also understand that each game is its own isolated instance. The way the bills play against the dolphins is not how they're going to play against the Bengals. The defense, the bills are playing against the third string quarterback and Skylar Thompson is not the same defense. They're going to play against Joe Burrow and that Bengals offense. All of that aside though, Luca, do you have a feel for what kind of form the Bills are in right now? Because one thing I have struggled with down the stretch of this season, even during the win streak with the Bills, is I just don't know how good they are. And that's one thing about not getting that Bengals game week 17. I thought that was a great measuring stick opportunity for the Bills because they won a close game in Detroit, but we didn't know how good Detroit was. They beat the Browns pretty handily, but what are the Browns? They, they rattled off the three straight AFC East victories, but how good are each of those teams individually? And the Dolphins game was pretty close in, in a series of Dolphins games where they were getting blown out otherwise. So the, the Bears game ended up being a blowout, but it wasn't like it was the most impressive offensive display by the Bills. So I, I still sit here after surviving Super Wild Card Weekend not knowing what to think about these Bills. I think the what the term or the thought that comes to mind with the bills right now because i think your headspace is pretty spot on with this it's hard to know what you're getting with this team it's hard to know what's going to come game in game out from this team on all aspects of it and it just what comes to mind is they're just they have no identity and and it's weird because when you have josh allen like you should have an identity on offense but at the same time the identity shouldn't be what you saw today and we'll talk about it a little bit more where it seemed like this was by far the most deep balls thrown in a 60 minute game that I have ever seen out of this offense. And that was essentially the game plan or lack thereof. If you want to call it that it was, there was running and stuff going on. It was like, there was some design and other things going on, but Allen threw the ball deep. I want to say at least 10 times, and I'm probably short balling it there. And from that, at least half of them were just F it. Someone's down there and I'm cool with that once and twice in a game. I love Allen. He has that ability. He can flick his wrist and the ball travels 50, 60 yards down the field. Great. That doesn't need to be a regular occurrence every week to this week. 
especially in a game where it seems like you just need to be able to control things a little bit more. That is not a game plan where control comes to mind. That's a game plan of quick hits, quick attack, get down the field, chunk plays, all that sort of fun and jazz. And it's, that's not something we saw them doing the past couple of weeks. Ellen isn't trying to rip it down the field once every drive. Like that was not something we had seen coming in. So it fits that mold of there's just no identity to this offense right now. And the defense definitely doesn't have an identity because if you had something, they would at least be great at something. And they don't seem to be great at anything. They can do their jobs effectively at times, but it's like, there's no pass rush going on right now. There's, even with the linebackers playing well, it's like that can only do so much for you. And then all of a sudden your secondary, since there's no pass rush, is just getting exposed and they're just not where they need to be most of the time. Sometimes they make a play. Kyrie Elam had a great interception, needs to be noteworthy and everything like that. But there were moments then where Kyrie's seven yards behind a receiver, you know, running like a 15-yard flag route. And it's like, what? Why? Like there's no one behind you, no one even threatening behind you. Why is that not the individual then you probably press up and get a little tighter to so that you make the window smaller for a Skylar Thompson now? It, it's just, it's questionable on what this team is trying to do week in and week out. And it's frustrating from a fan's perspective because it seems like a team that should be able to have something they can lean on other than just Josh Allen going, you know, F it, someone's down there and being able to flick it every drive down the field once or twice. I, I, I love it. And it's amazing that he has that ability. I don't want to lean on that because eventually it's going to, the well's going to be dry. You're not going to have that play. And all of a sudden you can't do anything anymore. And your defense eventually is going to bleed points and you're just not able to do anything effectively with the ball yourself. And if the special teams on top of it has a performance like today, where they're allowing 50 yard returns, what are you going to do? Like there's nothing you can do. There's absolutely nothing you can do. I will say I'm with you hundred percent. If you play like this, you're never going to beat the Bengals. Horrible mentality. Everyone goes yeah. into a game differently, especially if your theory about this team, you know, almost was relaxed or a little switched off. However you want to say it, they're not going to be switched off for the Bengals. No. They understand who they'll be playing against. And then even on top of it, they might even be overly emotional just due to the connection to the Bengals themselves and everything that happened previously this season. So I don't expect them to be switched off in any capacity for that game. So therefore I would just hope that they would elevate their play to what their potential is. And obviously a high end Josh Allen should be able to make a hell of a lot more plays and maybe just be a little more focused and not be as free as we'll call it with the ball at times, like the John Brown play or others where he's just slinging it all over. It's like, it's cool but I don't need you to do that. I would love to see more of a structured game plan going forward because there is zero identity to this team right now. And it's just frustrating when they have the potential that they do to take on anyone, any given Sunday or Saturday. Let's talk about Dorsey's day for a little bit here, because I, I feel like he left a little something to be desired. And, you know, they started off super strong, those two touchdowns and the James cook run was just wide open and his speed flashed and it looked great. But when this game was, you know, slowly spiraling out of control, I would say like it was a slow paper cut by paper cut situation with the Dolphins. And it felt like the offense just needed a play to get the team back on the rails and it didn't happen. Um, Dorsey, I feel like was just everything was a shot play. And Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus even tweeted out that Josh Allen playing with a lead had an average target depth of 26.3 yards in the fourth quarter. And speaking of Josh Allen, we've talked about how 
his legs are kind of a break glass in case of emergency in the regular season. And, and the bills really, w- if they had their druthers would only really break that out in situations where it's a super important game or it's coming down to the wire in the fourth quarter. And we need to say, "Uh Oh, Josh, put on your Cape and go out there and run the ball. You don't necessarily want him taking all those hits. And I will tell you, I went into this game today thinking that there was a chance that there wasn't going to be a need for Josh Allen to run, that you could probably just play the Dolphins straight up as they're fully formed and and handle them just fine. But there was a point in the third or fourth quarter where it was like, okay, the offensive line is losing their battle badly. Um, the receivers after digs are being a little bit shaky. Davis had a very strong game, so I don't want to include him in that, but uh, Beasley Shakir and I guess Brown if you want to say he he pulled his route off or stopped running they all took their turns making mistakes and critical mistakes at that and then um, there was just a time where it was like okay we still have we still have this one club in our bag that we haven't unleashed that really puts stress on a defense and that's those design runs for Josh Allen the power sweeps and we saw one on a long third down conversion on the one play that Deion Dawkins missed where you're just you're just watching the game with one hand over your face because you can you don't want to see Questenberry at left tackle trying to block Chubb and, and um, Phillips because they they were getting through today, and I don't understand. I'm I guess I'm glad he didn't have to because Josh Allen's healthy, didn't take any big hits. But Luca, I came away so confused by what Dorsey was trying to accomplish with both the shot plays and also the lack of design runs for Josh Allen, because as much as we talked about coming into this, like, Oh, it's better than a buy or they're 13 point favorites. This was still a, a lose and go home situation. And they were very close to losing this game in certain situations. And I'm very surprised that they didn't whip out that Josh Allen running attack. Yeah. I think I'm even more so upset about it than you, because I know you have this like break class, Blake, uh, break glass in case of emergency. And it's like, my mentality is these are the games that matter, regardless how you view the opponent. Mm -hmm. This is the game that you have to win. And honestly, my thought on Josh Allen running is it's something to even present a team early because you need to remind them what the threat is. That is Josh Allen designed runs. And even once in a while, I would almost say there should be a a quote, non-design run in there where it's a one route read. And then you tell Josh Allen, this is going to be your running lane if you don't like that throw. And I would love to see that more because, again, that's what you need to present the team. And maybe if they would have done something like that instead of the mentality of just do it when we need it, absolutely. It would have probably backed off the defense a little bit and it would have backed off the pass rush some instead of having them just pin their ears back and dominate the tackles both sides like it was absolutely painful to watch when Questenberry was in there because Dawkins had to leave for that short time. Great time to call a design Josh Allen run. One way to disguise a awful pass blocking tackle is to, well, not pass block, but um, it was just like, I would have loved to see it way before then with a mindset of, we need to show them that this is something we will pull out when we need it. But right now you need to remember, this is what happens when we do. So back the F off. And it's Mm -hmm. like, that's the mentality they should have. I don't want them doing it in case of emergency. I want them doing it to make them respect it. And you're not going to respect it if you don't do it for an entire half of football. Like, if you do not do it for the entire first half, it's not even on the defense's mind. So you better be doing that by design and all of a sudden break out 10 of them in the second half. 
because for it to be late in the third quarter or even early fourth quarter, whenever that one, that was the first one I remember in the game. It probably was the first one and only only one. Yeah, Yeah. the only designed run. And that's the moment you chose to do it is insane to me. Like that Mm -hmm. cannot happen. On Built in Buffalo Live, I even said, and you kind of, you know, disregarded it. And I understand disregarding it. I'm not throwing you on it. It's just like I said, this needs to be a game where you just remind both the Dolphins and put it on tape. Put it on tape. It's like, we will do this. Hey, Cincinnati or Jacksonville or whoever we end up matching up against, we are about to do this. We are going to commit to this again. It's the playoffs. This is when you need to win every game and do whatever possible. As you said, style points don't matter. I don't care if it's, I don't care if it's Josh Allen getting 15 carries, James Cook, Devin Singletary, Naheem Hines, whatever you think is the best thing. Guess what? The best thing's probably keeping the ball in Josh Allen's hand 10, 15 times and then having them throw it every other time anyways. Like, I'm cool with that game plan. 17 should touch the ball and be affecting the play as much as possible every damn game now because these are the games that this one could have easily slipped away from us. And if we didn't run Josh Allen and we ended up losing this game, that would be the number one thing I'd be complaining about right now. You cannot have a game with everything on the line and your best running attack with Josh Allen was not used at all. That is unacceptable, just flat out. I will not accept that, and I hope going forward this was kind of like an eye-opening experience for Dorsey and the offense and the coaching staff as a whole. It's like that can never happen again. Hopefully it never does. Hopefully they kind of had the mindset you did, Josh, where it was they really didn't want to unless they had to. I'm, I'll am i accept that as an answer. I just still find it somewhat unacceptable because the bottom line is, as I even said before, This is still a team that deserved to be in the playoffs. You are playing a playoff game. You need to do what you can to absolutely put it away as fast as possible, if at all possible. So what are we doing? So I have a thought and I hesitate to say this, but this is just kind of where I'm at. And what I have here is kind of a good news, bad news situation. And I will lead with the bad news. I feel very confident in saying this isn't a great Bills team. Whether it's the Von Miller injury, whether it's the Micah Hyde injury, whether it's Tredavious White still working his way back but not particularly playing at that all-pro level, although he did look better today. Whether it's guys like Dawson Knox and Gabe Davis not elevating to that high-end weapon that a lot of us thought they could be, although they both have had a good game today. This isn't a great team. I think this is a good team. They have a quarterback who is a very high-end quarterback that can do things on the field that no other quarterback in the sport other than Mahomes can do, and Mahomes can't run like Allen. They have a weapon in Diggs, who is one of the best receivers in the entire sport. Uh, But let's just be honest about what they have on defense. Since Von Miller went out, this is a below-average pass rush based on the metrics. They don't have anybody on that defensive line that consistently scares offensive coordinators. And on the other side of the coin, this isn't really a sticky secondary with, with hideout with Tredavious white still working his way back there. There are some holes in this pass defense. And when you talk about not getting a consistent pass rush and not having sticky coverage that can lead to some issues on defense offensively, this to me is a below average offensive line. I like Deion Dawkins. He's a fine left tackle. He's not a great left tackle. He's a fine left tackle. Mitch Morse, very solid center. Outside of that, I think Roger Saffold is has been a liability. Uh, Spencer Brown at times today looked like he didn't even know the ball was snapped. Jalen Phillips was just getting around him that fast, and it was painful to see. 
Ryan Bates, in my opinion, has been more good than bad this year, but not necessarily like a high-end starter. This offensive line, to me, is not a strength of the team. And then outside of Diggs, um, we've seen some ascension from Dawson Knox in recent weeks. What we saw today out of Gabe Davis was great, but let's not forget the entire body of the regular season. I know it's fun to say playoff Gabe, and I tweeted it out from our podcast account, but this is not a great Bills team. The good news is there's not a great team in the playoffs. All these teams have warts, particularly on the AFC side. This Bengals team is going to be down potentially three starters on their offensive line when they come to Orchard Park next week. They're already down Lyle Collins. They lost Kappa, one of their best interior players. And then tonight against the Ravens, they lost Jonah Williams to a knee injury. Thigh doctor on Twitter said it looked to him like a PCL, maybe even an ACL. And that would obviously not come out for that game. And Jonah Williams is not even a great player, but you're talking about three depth players starting there. Their defense is good. Their defensive line is... (laughs) I'm going to live in a fear bunker of what their defensive line is going to do to our offensive line next week. But all of that being said... Chiefs defense, incredibly suspect. They have very young corners in their secondary. So this Bills team is fully capable of winning three more games and hoisting the trophy in this league. That's the good news. The good news is you have Josh Allen. You have games in your building coming up, one, maybe even two more games in your building before the Super Bowl, depending on what happens in the other game. They can get where they need to get to. But I think the way this season started, as strong as they looked out of the box against the Rams and against the Titans, we all thought, oh, man, this is an elite offense paired with an elite defense. Look out. I think right now it's a very good offense that rides the back of its all-world quarterback and asks him to go out there and be Superman and their all-world wide receiver and a defense that has their moments. But I, I don't think this defense scares anybody, and that that's a shame. And they're capable of winning it all, but they're also capable, in my opinion, of losing to any of the teams that are left in the field, including the team they're playing next week. So let's just see what happens. I think they have a shot to get this done, but I would say that overall, I'm a little bit lower on the bills than I expected to be at this point in the season. Yeah, that's fair. This is playoffs, though. Like My mentality is this. The bills deserve to be in the situation that they are in. Yes, they have injuries. Everyone has injuries. I think what you talked about with the Bengals, their offensive line, it's like maybe they weren't the greatest of players individually, but a team has struggles overcoming that many injuries to a a singular unit that is an offensive line. So it's very, very notable. And everyone else has their injuries. The classic mantra is no one's 100% at this time. That's the reality of this league and this sport and everything. You played all those games to get to this point. You figured out or tried to figure out who you were and at least got to the standing you're at. And now you're just trying to muscle through games and get through them as best as you can to get to that ultimate prize. And yes, exactly right. Everyone has their faults. Everyone has their issues, their little things. I think you look at Kansas City and it's like, oh my God, if the Bills play like they did and they somehow even get through Cincy, what are we going to do with Mahomes in Kansas City? Because this defense can't stop them nosebleed. And it's like, look, it's not like Kansas City is going to be perfect every time. Everyone can have an off game. Look at the Bills today. Look at anyone going on. The Bengals even just struggled with Huntley. And if it, as you pointed out earlier in this episode, wasn't for the flukiest of defensive touchdown plays, they easily could have lost that game. And we're having a totally different conversation right now because we are hosting the Jaguars in the divisional round. So it's anything can happen. So I feel like now we have gotten to the point. Once you get to the divisional round, 
it's a coin flip game. Essentially, you should be thankful you're playing it at home. You're playing a very tough opponent, but you're going to be playing a tough opponent no matter what. It's not like some magical 500 team gets to this very often. If you get that, it's a blessing for you and just realize that that team is going to really play loose due to the fact that they're probably going to feel like they really shouldn't be there and they are in house money at that point and they're going to have fun with it. And that can be very, very scary too in itself because that could lead to exactly kind of similar situation of today where if you're too loose and you're a little switched off, that team could kill you because guess what? They're in the tournament in the first place for a reason. So we're now at the point where I think you have to enjoy the fact that we won a playoff game, got to the divisional round, which we expected this team to do. Obviously, the goal is higher. And now it's just going to expect a tough game. It doesn't matter who that opponent is. Don't look at that opponent and don't look at the issues that are this are with this team. It's hard not to, but at the same time, it's now, as you pointed out earlier as well, I love pulling a lot of stuff you've been saying, Josh, because I think piecing it together is great for people to hear. It's one game by one game. The mantra that they've been playing this entire season for, where they keep going, we're on to this week, we're focused on being one to know, all that stuff. This is when that stuff matters now, because ultimately that is exactly the kind of mindset you need to have at this point in the season. It's a one to know season. You need to be one and oh, you cannot finish this week. zero and one, if you finish this week, zero and one, your season is over. If you can finish this week, one and oh, you move on. It doesn't matter how you get the job done. Just get it done. Do everything you can to make that possible from one to 53 on the roster and coaches included. Just make it happen. You need to have that mindset. And this team, I think, has that. I think McDermott has this team and that mentality. And this will be is is it weird to say? that what just happened today is perfect for McDermott because now he has 60 minutes of film, or I guess we'll call it what 50 minutes of film where he can go. This can never happen again. You guys now need to look at this, realize what happened here and you need to be switched on for the rest of this season. I don't ever want to see that again. Just focus, stick to your job, do what you know how to do and do what's best for this team moving forward and always be focused on the next play and what you can do to maximize whatever you're supposed to do and achieve out of that play. Whatever the situation may be, do the best job you can moving forward so we can finish this week 1-0 and and get to the next round. That's all that matters. And I think McDermott, once the dust settles and the you know his adrenaline is probably through the roof still right now as we're talking at midnight Eastern here, I'm sure he's probably struggling to sleep, but once the dust settles, he gets to the office tomorrow and he's like able to kind of take a breath of fresh air. It's going to be like, okay, this is how I'm going to work this. This is how I'm going to get the guys back on track, back focused, and let's focus on Cincinnati because that's the next objective here as we try to go one and oh. Speaking of McDermott, I feel like the common thought is he had a rough day today. And I'm interested to hear your take on this. Uh, I saw a lot of comments about how he would call a timeout that would negate a play that wound up like they'd still play the play because the players didn't know the timeout was called and it was a positive result for the Bills. But then the refs would say the play never happened. The Bills called a timeout. And there was one situation on a fourth down where they threw a deep ball to Waddle. Yep. And Waddle dropped it and McDermott had called a timeout. And then the other one, I believe, was a running play. There, where Edmonds blew it up in the backfield, Another and McDermott, time. yeah, McDermott called a timeout. And I'll just say my thought on that is that is like the absolute hindsight analysis. 
of like, oh, well, McDermott should have known. Like he called a timeout because he didn't like what he was seeing out there. And I don't mind that because, you know, this is a Dolphins team that's going to be throwing everything and everything but the kitchen sink at you. And if we're being honest, that Waddle play was there to be had. He just dropped the ball. So clearly McDermott saw something with his defensive backs alignment and he wanted to get to, get to talk it over. Something happened pre-snap that he wasn't comfortable with. Obviously, the Edmonds one was disappointing as well. And I believe um, one of those, the Dolphins went from going for it on fourth down to punting. I can't remember which one it was, but I have a hard time holding that against McDermott. If you want to have a conversation about setting second half timeouts on fire and not trusting the veterans you have on your defense to get it sorted out, I think that's a better conversation. In general, I didn't have much of a problem with what McDermott did today. Um, There's not a moment where I, I really think like, oh, he messed up clock management here. Um, although I will say some of the criticism we have of Dorsey of calling all these shot plays and, and throwing the ball so much with the lead, um, you know, McDermott does have final say on that. So his name has to be on that at some point. Like you could say he's the guy that signs the checks, if you will, when it comes to like what plays are being called, even if he's not calling them. But in general, I didn't have an issue with McDermott's day. Do you come away with this having a different opinion? So it's kind of a two-parter for me. So first and foremost, I love everything about McDermott when it comes to normally his composure, his attitude, his mindset, everything, what he does and approaches the game at and how he presents himself and however you want to say it, it's spot on. It's great. Where I get at with this is what we saw today. So the one that you're thinking of where it led to a punt was actually that incomplete to waddle. And then we took the timeout because Milano was basically looking at McDermott. Like I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And instead of McDermott doing something that I can't do on screen, which I would love for him to do, because I actually don't agree with that at all. Just run with it at that point in time with 830 left in the fourth quarter of a three point game. My timeout is way more valuable than you understanding what's going on on the field to me, because that timeout later on could be 40 seconds and that could be massive. So I don't necessarily agree with you there. And what I was getting at in my initial point is McDermott has shown even before this game and shows pretty much since I can remember, it's the one criticism I have of him. He is the only guy, a guy who is not emotional when approaching the game that somehow lets those kind of quick hit emotional moments get to him. And I'm not criticizing necessarily, oh, I hate that he always loses his challenges or he's horrible at them. It just seems like the reason that is, is because a lot of those are emotionally driven to challenge. Same with these timeouts. It's very in the heat of the moment. You got five seconds right now to make a decision. Emotions are getting to him all of a sudden, and he just does the panic timeout. And it's like, buddy, at that point in the game, that timeout is way more valuable than Matt Milano standing there going like this. Like, trust me, I I would not expect a deep shot to Jalen Waddle on that play for all intents and purposes. But the reality is, and yes, I think the hindsight hindsight point you made is accurate for a lot of people. I think they just look at it in a broad light and they're like, oh, hindsight's, I mean, they're not thinking hindsight's 2020, but basically have that response of why did you do that? Because he just dropped this ball. That's not the problem. The problem is he let the emotions of Matt Milano on the field doing this to him. And I'm holding up my hands like I have no idea what I'm doing. And then he panicked, called a timeout. I have a problem with a coach doing that. That is the problem I have, because that is, to me, someone letting the moment get to them. And he's not looking at it like we're up three, eight and a half minutes in this game. They're going for it. It seems like on fourth down on their own 38, like 
if you want to go for it on your own 38 and you're lining up and they were running out of time to do so, and there's just one player that doesn't seem to know what he's doing, cool. What's that deep shot to Jalen Waddle? If it connects, they first in uh, 10 at the, what I, I'm estimating here because I don't remember it was dropped, but it's probably like 27 or 30 yard line. Like you still have plenty of time to make a play on that ball. And all of a sudden that chunk play actually gave you more time to respond with Josh Allen now. Like, is that the worst thing in the world if you have another timeout in your bag? No, you don't want to allow that play, of course. But at the same time, that timeout is way more valuable than allowing that just because Milano didn't like it. And I think that happens more often than it should, especially with a guy like McDermott. So I think it's a great point or a great time to bring him up. And I don't necessarily like hate him. And I think he gets criticism from some that is not in the correct mindset or is not focused correctly. Because I think what really needs to be directed towards is He's letting emotional situations get to him with crucial things like timeouts and challenges where he presents himself and he handles himself everywhere else so well and emotions and, you know, the crowd and stuff like that never gets to him. And it blows my mind that something like that does. I would love to see McDermott basically point back at him and be like, figure it the F out. Like, just do it run around, run with your hands in the air. I don't care. I'm not spending a timeout so you can figure this out as the play clocks at one and there's Skylar Thompson on the other side on his own 38 going for it on fourth and five or whatever it ended up being or fourth. And I don't remember the situation in the yardage, but it's like, cool. Let him figure that out. I'm not worried about you not knowing what's going on. That's my feelings on it. So the Bills advance to the divisional round, 34 to 31 over the Miami Dolphins. It is the third year in a row, Luca, the Bills have advanced to the divisional round. They are only one of two teams in the entire NFL over that three-year span to make it as far as the divisional round in each of the last three seasons. The other team is the Kansas City Chiefs. There is one more team alive for that grouping. That is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but they have to win their game tomorrow night against the Dallas Cowboys to qualify and they would join the bills and the chiefs in that regard. Let's put a bow on this super wild card victory for the Buffalo bills with a segment we like to call game balls and game checks. Luca, who gets your game ball for their performance today in the 34 to 31 victory over the Miami dolphins. I think it's only right for me to give my game ball to someone that seems to have gotten probably a few game checks awards this season. And I just want to give it to Gabe Davis because he has been struggling on form of late and we've given him proper and deserving criticism on just drops and stuff of that nature. I believe you've been more critical on him only. And I only say that like respectfully because you had higher hopes. I feel like than myself going into this year. So naturally the higher you are, the fall is greater and it's just a little bit more frustrating for you than me, but it doesn't take away my frustrations with him as well. What I will say is playoffs came around and he figured it the F out and thank God he did because if it weren't for him in a game where it seemed like we should have been comfortable, this probably could have gone the other way. Six catches for 113 yards in a tud on nine targets. And I don't remember any of those being a drop, to be quite honest. Uh, there was even one that live was like, oh, he trapped it on the ground and it got overturned because he actually, in fact, did get his hand under, controlled it no problem. And it was a great catch. That was a moment. And that was earlier on, if I remember correctly, when I was like, oh, Gabe Davis is not the Gabe Davis we've just seen for the past month or so, like in poor form. This is the different Gabe Davis. This is Gabe, Mr. Playoffs Davis. And he has come to play here and I was happy for that. So for my game ball, 
it is Gabe Davis. That's a great call. And I'm with you. Obviously he's gotten a lot of my, my game checks. He had a big game today. You mentioned the stats, but what, what I see, and I'm just, you know, I'm just a fan watching this like the rest of you. What I see with Gabe Davis up until today is a guy lacking confidence. Um, Some of these simple drops he's making. um, You saw there was a play against the Patriots last week where he catches the ball on the sideline, but just doesn't get two feet down on a play that you just expect Davis to make. And I think the catching when, when you're feeling it, when you're confident, the catching comes so natural. You can focus on the other things that you need to get done in that situation, like getting two feet down, setting yourself up to get run after catch by getting your body in a certain way, protecting against the hit. But Davis right now is fighting it so much with his hands that I think he's focusing so much on his hands that he's not letting the rest of his body like maximize its potential. So it was so nice to see him come back. And if it is a playoff Gabe Davis thing, great. I don't necessarily buy into that, but what I do buy into is the fact that I think Gabe Davis needed a game like today to kind of get himself rolling because I do think he has that upside to be a higher end wide receiver too in this league. And even if he can only put that together for a three or four game stretch, this is the three or four game stretch that would be beautiful to see that happen. And he is off to a fantastic start. I'm going to go to the other side of the ball, Luca, and I'm going to give my game ball to Kair Elam. He was in a situation today where Dane Jackson left the game at one point due to an injury. McDermott did say after the game that he thought Dane Jackson would have been able to re-enter the game had the game gone to overtime. It just didn't. But um, Kair Elam had the interception that in my mind really turned the game back around in Buffalo's favor when it really felt like the Bills were going uphill against the Dolphins. Skylar Thompson in his own end on a third and 18 forces a ball downfield and as soon as he throws it you're almost thinking "Uh uh-oh because for a quarterback to throw the ball in that scenario you're thinking he must see somebody wide open and then obviously he didn't see somebody wide open it was just a rookie mistake good play by Kair Elam there and then he had the closeout play at the end of the game where he knocked the ball away that eventually led to the turnover on downs Um, it looked like maybe on replay it was more of a drop than anything Kair Elam did but he you know he was there he affected the play um, I, I know you and I were talking off air that, you know, we're interested to kind of go back and rewatch this game because there were some things that we noticed even just watching on TV that he probably wants to clean up. But first playoff game going against a wide receiver group of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle to make an interception and to be involved on the closeout play. Kudos to Kyer Elam. He's had a really interesting year with um, not really being the starter, even playing behind Christian Benford at times not getting on the field when they have a rash of injuries at cornerback playing behind guys like Xavier Rhodes and to have his number called in a money game and to come up big kudos to that young man. And uh, speaking of young men, uh, kudos to the rest of the draft class today that got on the field. James cook got in the end zone and then Khalil Shakir. He did have the big drop, but man, did his, his long bomb catch really flip field position Luca in a situation where field position at that point felt like everything. Um, any other game ball candidates you'd like to mention before we flip it on over to game checks? No, I mean, the linebackers again. So on a defensive day where there were struggles, at least those two showed up and did their thing again. And I'm going to include Taron Johnson since he's kind of like a mini linebacker in this defense anyways, because he also seemed to have a pretty good game. He had a really strong breakup and I, don't remember which receiver it was, but it was a really strong breakup downfield where it seemed like that was absolutely about to be completed. Um, and then Milano's stat line of 
10 total with eight solo, two sacks and two tackles for a loss. He was a monster. Great stat line. I think everyone. So that's the whole thing. We're giving these game balls and I, I want to put it under this preface. It's like, although Gabe Davis, I don't think was this and uh, Diggs wasn't this, but pretty much anyone else like Kyrie, he had great moments. And then he might've had one or two that, as you said, he wants to clean up. I think even Milano and Edmonds had a moment or two where it's like they didn't, you know, it wasn't their best, but at least it was just one or two moments. It wasn't an entire 60 minutes of that moment. So like Edmonds cracked uh, Ahmed and that was just so perfectly timed things like that. It's like, that's why I think they deserve a little bit of a accolade here. Um, I'll roll right into the Zach Moss Memorial uh, game check award from me. Mine's pretty obvious. I have almost positive. I've mentioned this guy before on the season for this slot. And today was just absolutely a day where I am very okay with not knowing where this guy's future is on this team because moving, we need him now and he's going to have to be what it is. And I'm sure he's going to have a spot next year, but he is not an answer for where he currently plays at right tackle Spencer Brown, bud. You are borderline useless at times. Josh, you said it earlier perfectly. There were moments when the ball is snapped and he didn't even look like he realized it. You need to be on point when you're coming up against edge rushers, such as what Miami has to present you. Phillips was absolutely destroying him. Chubb even had his day with him. It was not pretty at all. Um, he's been struggling all year. So like to call him out for this game, being extra awful is kind of even mean in a way, but it deserves to be said. He absolutely deserves this spot for me. So Spencer Brown gets my Zach Moss Memorial award. No argument for me there whatsoever. I will say that maybe I should have mentioned in game check, Mitch Morris probably deserves a lot of credit because when you play the Miami dolphins and you don't really hear Christian Wilkins name called, I'm assuming Mitch Morris did a lot of dirty work out there. Um, that maybe went unseen on, on the television copy. But yeah, Spencer Brown was brutal today. And I will say Jalen Phillips just looks like an absolute star in the making in this league. The Dolphins have really had some nice drafts recently with Holland, with Phillips. Obviously, we saw what Tua did this year before he got hurt. Jalen Waddle playing very well. So this is a team that's not going to go away. Christian Wilkins is a recent first-round draft pick of theirs who, who's evolved into a star. This team has a lot of pieces and if, if, if they can keep their quarterback healthy, they're going to be a handful going forward. I'm going to steal a page out of Luca's book. Luca is known for liking to give game balls and game checks to groups of players. And I'm going to do that today because we came into this matchup with the Dolphins, knowing that Tua was out, but saying that the Dolphins are actually more hurt at this position than they are at quarterback. And that's an offensive tackle where Teron Armstead is dealing with four separate injuries. He did play today. Shell did not play today. Um, Austin Jackson already on season-ending IR. They were down to their fourth right tackle, and they're down to they had Teron Armstead out there, really an absolute shell of himself. Credit to him for fighting through these injuries. It's amazing. And I will tell you, Luca. Um, I thought Shaq Lawson had a strong game, so I'm not going to really um, bring him up here. Greg Rousseau, Boogie Basham, who did have a sack, and A.J. Epinesa, way too quiet for my liking in this game. The matchup was there to be won, and I really felt like this was an, op this was an opportunity for them to take a step forward in a big game against a soft opponent, and they did the direct opposite, in my opinion, and it was disappointing. And when you look at what's on deck for this team next week and what they're going to be rolling out at the tackle position, the best thing the Bills have going for them defensively 
is if these high draft picks on the edge, Rousseau, Basham, and Epinesa, can win their very winnable matchups against the Bengals, they can absolutely take over this game and be the reason why the Bills advance to the AFC Championship game. But the effort is going to have to be a lot higher than what it was today against the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, it's it's well done. I, I think what's a great highlight of this group that you bring up here to give them your award for this is there were numerous times, Josh, I know you probably remember it, just don't remember the moments where obviously the Dolphins were trying to do quick, you know, screens out outside, just get the ball out of Skylar Thompson's hand more than usual as very, very quick. And numerous times it was Basham or Epinesa, you know, they're trying to swat the ball down and they missed by a couple inches. It's a game of inches, but that just showed you they were always a step behind. They weren't able to make any sort of impact at a matchup that, as you brought up, seemed like it was one there for the taking. Even with Teron Armstead there, he's battling through all his injuries. Uh, he's kind of, a, I, I wouldn't go full because there were a couple moments where I'm like, there's Teron Armstead. Like he definitely yeah. showed up. He did his thing. So shell of himself almost seems too negative, but it's in the right mindset, right? It's more he's respectful not, for like knowing what he's dealing with. Exactly. It's not like, like saying he's not you, playing well. I, he's fighting it, man. Yeah. You know, hit where his ceiling is, you know, where his yeah. capabilities are. So it, it, he wasn't there, but he was still holding his own. And it's like, you need these guys to step up. I mean, our mutual friend, we know Nino shout out to him. There were numerous times in my living room where he's like, where's Rousseau? Like, where is this Greg Rousseau? Like, yeah. what are we doing? Like, it was crazy that it just seemed like he made zero impact on this game where you need him in these moments to be that guy with Vaughn no longer there. And it's like he was making those plays when Vaughn was there, but now it seems like he's absolutely disappeared for the majority of the times as soon as Vaughn's gone. That's not what he's that he, he's not here to be a guy that's dependent on someone opposite of him. He's supposed to develop into the guy, and he's just not able to do that right now. Again, it's only a sophomore season, so I'm not going to be like overly critical on it. But if you're not ever able to make that next step in a in a place where you're supposed to, based on the matchup and everything going on, it's just a little concerning. It's 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 questionable that you're just not making any sort of impact for an entire 60 minutes when you really should be able to kind of do your job and really do it well. Yeah, he had a really strong start to the season. You have to wonder how much of that was the Von Miller impact. And it's actually really depressing when you think about how much Von Miller's loss has impacted this entire defense. It really speaks to how special of a player he is. Seth Walder put out one of those quadrants where pass rush win rate and then on one axis, and then you have double team rate on the other. And for the first time this year, Greg Rousseau was in the bottom left quadrant where He's not only not getting double team very much, but he's not winning his pass rush very much. And it's, it, you know, you hate to see that um, because there right now is no Batman on this defensive line. I think you could honestly include Ed Oliver in this. He did have the sack today where he was essentially unblocked. Uh, and I just, I'm getting to a point more so with Ed Oliver than I am with Greg Russo because he's in his second year. He's a developmental player. He, he lost Von Miller. Like all that can be understood. But, I'm getting to a point with that Oliver where I'm tired of hearing about, oh, how unblockable he is in training camp and then making excuses like, oh, they have a rotation. That's why he doesn't make sacks or impact plays in the game. And he did have a sack today. I, I mentioned that already, but um, I don't know. I, I see Christian Wilkins out there. I see Quinnen Williams out there from his draft class. I see Jeffrey Simmons from his draft class. These are superstars in the league. And I don't think that Oliver's there yet. And that's a little disappointing, but you know, again, we're nitpicking. 
this team has enough to get it done. And, but I think, I do think Luca for you and I to be standing there watching a parade together in about five weeks, we're going to need one of these defensive linemen to really elevate their game, maybe even two. And they're not there yet, but they have three games to go, hopefully to get that done. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the out of town scoreboard. And then we'll talk about what's next for these bills as they turn their attention ahead to the divisional round, uh, a absolute thriller on Saturday night, Luca in Jacksonville, as the chargers got out to a 27 to nothing lead. And as you like to say, the chargers inevitably will always charger. I didn't even think that they had that in them at 27 to nothing, even though I did put a live bet on the Jaguars on the off chance they did. And just an absolute collapse by that entire organization, by the defense at the end, by Justin Herbert, who we're both big fans of. Everybody has their hand in there. And I do think that Brandon Staley is going to be ending up being the one who loses his job over this collapse. Yeah, look, inexcusable. The Mike Williams situation going into the game and what you did with him and mismanaging that week 18 and then 27 to nothing when you are in absolute control. The a quarterback on the other side looks like he absolutely has no idea what's going on. And somehow you end up losing this game. And in such a, as I love to say, and you pointed out a charger way, like perfect. I almost wanted to reach out to you, Josh, and be like, hey, clip our built-in Buffalo live thing where I talk about Dicker the kicker missing something, and then they ultimately lose to a field goal because that's exactly what's about to happen. And as you pointed out, you live betted. I was just, it was like double down, triple down. I'm like, the Chargers will lose this game. I don't know why, they just will. And it was just unbelievable the fashion of which they lost it. And credit to Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence. In a game where nothing is going your way, Trevor Lawrence is not seeing the field well at all. I can't remember his comments well. He, it's, he didn't really want to blame his vision, but at the same time, I'm sure his headspace was all over the place after his third interception in the first quarter. Like, this is your play. You're on the national stage. This is your playoff debut, and you look like you have no clue what's going on. You look. You made Skylar Thompson look like he was actually more of a credible quarterback than you, and you are a first overall pick. Not a good look. And somehow Doug Peterson just reeled him in, calmed him down and made sure he reminded him, you are Trevor Lawrence. You actually know what you're doing. I'm going to give you the plays and the offense moving forward that I know you can run and drive and get us back into this game. And sure enough, we saw what happened. Beautiful. But the dicker, the kicker miss of 30 something yards. Oh, just uh, like I, I have no ill will with chargers and chargers fans and stuff. But when I watch those moments, Josh, it is just joy to my heart and a chef's kiss. I was at a bar at the moment that it happened and just let out a big, beautiful moment. And I was like, that is the seal of the deal. Jaguars are winning this game. How you doing? Keep it moving. Thank you for stopping by. So the Jaguars will head to Arrowhead to take on the Chiefs. And I'm sure every Bills fan will be rooting hard for uh, the Jaguars to get that win. So if the Bills are able to advance past the Bengals, the AFC championship game would be in Buffalo if they're taking on Jacksonville. Otherwise, if they're taking on the Chiefs, it would be in Atlanta. Also on Saturday, the San Francisco 49ers rolled the Seattle Seahawks 41 to 23. It was interesting about halfway through that game. Then they finally pulled away. Brock Purdy, very strong in his playoff debut, 333 yards, three touchdowns. San Francisco is absolutely rolling right now. Former Bills offensive coordinator Brian Dable 
got the Giants to the playoffs and got the Giants a playoff win on the road in Minnesota. If you've been listening to our show, we've been talking all about how fraudulent the Vikings are. And boy, did they show it today. 31 to 24, the Giants take down the Vikings. Luca, great season by the Giants. I think to get that playoff win will absolutely stamp this as a successful season, no matter what happens going forward. I don't personally take the Giants serious as a threat moving on in these playoffs. I think they're stepping up now in weight class to a point where maybe they're going to be a little bit uncomfortable. But I will say, I think they're going to greatly benefit from taking on a division rival in round two who does outman them talent for talent. But as we saw today in two situations, Baltimore and Cincy and Buffalo and Miami, when you play a division rival, it doesn't matter what the spread is, what the talent is, anything can happen. Yeah, you never want to see if you're the favorite, especially, of course, but I guess it it doesn't apply for the underdog. But if you're the favorite, you never want to play a divisional opponent. And I almost I always have that mantra, Josh, we've had a conversation in previous podcasts and live shows where I'm like, I'd rather play the Chargers than the Dolphins because I want no part of a divisional game in the playoffs. And I went off of that mantra when I was like, well, we're going to see Skylar Thompson. So what what could really happen? It was a perfect slap in the face. Like, look, it's still a divisional opponent. They know your ins and outs. They know what you like to do. You really have to kind of go outside of the box a little bit at times to give them something different to think about so you can do things successfully on both sides of the ball. I think actually the Giants benefit from this being against the Eagles a lot because the familiarity of this almost gives them that confidence on top of the fact that they might even, or if I'm Dable, I am preaching, we shouldn't even be here. This is, we have no business playing this game right now against the number one seed Eagles. So go out there and just sling the pill, Danny Dimes, and Saquon, go crazy. Like, just do whatever you guys want to do. Because what's the worst case scenario here? You get blown out by the one seed Eagles who look like an absolute freight train at times. Everyone else would see that coming. But if you sling it and you make a couple plays happen with your starters, because this isn't Skylar Thompson, this is Danny Dimes. This has been their quarterback all year. If you make a play or two happen and you put some doubt in the team across from you at home with Philly fans sitting there watching you, oh, baby, that is just juicy. And all of a sudden, if you put the doubt on their side, your confidence builds even more so. I love it. I think getting into this game to start with the Vikings game was already a success. I don't think the result was ever going to drive that. I think Dable, it was kind of, it's perfect. It's almost like perfect that Dable off of a McDermott staff has done a very similar thing with the Giants, a long drought, not as long, of course, but a long drought for the Giants to get to the postseason and right out the gate, he got them there. He he actually goes above and beyond, gets them a win and builds that culture and confidence with them and now gets to have a real fun game in the divisional round against the Eagles. This one was writing on the wall. The Giants were going to beat the Vikings. I feel like if you overthought it and were like, people want you to think that you're crazy. It's like, look, the Vikings were frauds. They were absolute frauds. At the end of the day, when everything's on the line, you're going to see your true colors. And that's because this 13-win team had a negative diff- point differential, and there's a reason for it. When the game is on the line, they will probably fold, and they don't have a defense that can stop anything. I don't care if it's Danny Dimes over there. Danny Dimes can run an offense, and he can make plays happen if he needs to, especially against a bottom third defense. So, yeah, this was going to happen, and now they're going to have a lot of fun going into Philly because – 
Dayball should be absolutely leaning everything into. We shouldn't even be here. House money, all that fun stuff that you want to use. Play loose, have fun. This is going to be an experience, and we're going to try to get that win. But what do you have to lose? And then the last game of Super Wild Card Weekend is the Dallas Cowboys traveling to take on Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The winner of that game will take on Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers. Next up for the Buffalo Bills is a date with the Cincinnati Bengals next Sunday at 3 p.m. in Orchard Park. I don't know, Luca, have you seen a line out for that game yet? Because I would love to guess the line on this game if you happen to see one. But quickly, I would just say, like, we obviously will be covering this game all week long. Um, We will have our preview show on Built in Buffalo Live. I will admit fully I was rooting for the Ravens tonight because I I thought that the Bengals were um, the trickier opponent versus the Jaguars. Um, But at the end of the day, Luca, like you say, it's the playoffs. At some point, you got to play somebody good. Let's find out how good the Bills are. They're at home. This is a banged up Bengals team. Um, The Bills need to get it done. And if they don't get it done, then it wasn't their year. But they're fully capable of doing it. Let's just see what happens. I'm at peace with whatever happened in this game. Yeah, I'm... This is now where it's like you're in the divisional round. Both teams have won their game to get to this point. This is just what happens. Be thankful that you're playing at home because you'd much rather play at home than on the road. And that's just the bottom line. You get that one little advantage, if you even want to call it that, because to be quite honest, I think the modern day league too, home advantage is something, but I don't think it's valued as much as people want it to because these great teams don't care where they're playing football. They think they can beat you on any playground, any stadium. You set the line, you set the rules, we'll still kick your bleep. Like that's Joe Burrow and the Bengals are absolutely having that mindset with this game. I mean, the limited time that they had, they had a little bit of confidence in that Monday night game. And then unfortunately, the circumstances that happened happened. I feel like if they want to pull that, they absolutely deservingly so because the one drive that they ran fully against the Bills, it seemed to go a little too easy for them. Uh, what if you're talking about a Bills fan standpoint, I do have lines in front of me, Josh. I will lead you with the two other set games right now in the lines. They are just to put you in a mindset here. Jags visiting the Chiefs right now opens at eight and a half. And then Giants visiting the Eagles opens up at seven. So with that in mind, where do you think the books have put the Bengals coming to Orchard Park in Buffalo? That Jags game is going to get closer to 10 by the end of the week, and I'm going to be all over the Jaguars. Um, Let's see. Bills are at home. They were favored in Cincinnati when they were out there a couple weeks ago, which, you know, I figure probably about a four-point swing these days. As you mentioned, home field advantage is not worth the three we're used to. But since that point in time, I think the Bengals probably – so if you take that four-point swing from shifting, I think the Bills were like a two-point favorite in Cincy. That four-point make it – closer to six in Buffalo. I do think since that time, um, the shine has come a little bit off of Buffalo and the shine has been a little stronger on Sensi. I'm going to say that the bills are favored over the Bengals by a clean three points. Close. It's a clean number, but it's four. It was wow. very, very close. Yeah. They are four point favorites right now. Uh, an even 200 on the money line in favorite for them. The over under on this game is a little interesting. It is 50 and a half. I find that interesting because I really think this is a game that's going to see way more than 50 points. 
This and it's not going to be a weather situation. I already looked at, I mean, obviously you, you can speak to this better than me, but like looking at weather a week out in Buffalo Orchard Park is probably not the best scientific strategy, but it's all we have right now. And it looks like it's going to be kind of like today, chilly, but wind isn't even going to be a factor. No, no uh, snow, rain, anything like that. Yeah, I, I, I early on 50 and a half seems like a line that I want to put money down right now as we're talking here, just because I think that's something that could move up a couple points because you're even getting a favorable line. It's minus 106 on FanDuel for 50 and a half. That seems like a pretty decent line, especially when you have two teams that have. So the Bengals have that defensive line that we talked about here, and that's one thing that they could really probably, you know, kind of take a hold of the game on because. Bills have a struggling offensive line. They have a decent defensive line, but I feel like their secondary and stuff can be had. And we, of course, have Josh Allen Diggs and a maybe now confident uh, Davis. So points can be had, of course, for the Bills at any point in time. And then naturally, our defense seems to be not the greatest. And Joe Burrow has questionably and probably actually the best weapons available in the NFL these days, a top three wide receiving core that any team would love to have. And then on top of it, you get some production from a Joe Mixon or a Hayden Hurst and stuff. So 50 and a half seems like a pretty low thing with everything on the line. I'm probably going to trickle a little bit of money on that right as soon as we sign off here, Josh. Just got to figure out what I want to do for it. But um, yeah, four points. It seems like an accurate line. I think that line could even move down a little bit. I think three was actually a pretty good number. So I'm curious to see what the early cash comes in on with this with this game. Um, for a betting standpoint, of course, doesn't matter. Just win the damn game. That's all that matters. Like, I don't care what the spread is. I don't think the bills or Bengals care. Of course, like mm -hmm. just win the dang game. Like it's, I feel like this, you know, to wrap it up and we're talking betting here. I think that that attitude or that body language you saw was probably the bills seeing that 13 and a half point spread. And it just puts you in a, a, a weird confident level it's like well if no one else thinks that the dolphins have a chance and stuff we should be pretty confident that we're just be we're going to be able to come in here handle our business and move on without much of an issue and you just can't do that so good reality check now you have a closer line but they don't care anymore just win the damn game move on get to the next round one and oh that is the goal all season long it's felt like there's only three teams in the afc that are really vying for that conference championship and all three teams are still alive after the first week the chiefs the Bengals, and the bills along with the jacksonville jaguars who maybe are a little bit of a cinderella team after how they came back and beat the chargers it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward uh going forward for luca and i we will be back on built in buffalo live on friday night with our bills Bengals pregame show very much looking forward to that we would love for you to join us in that live we'd love to get your questions in chat we'll answer them on the air and then Luca and I'll be back next Monday to break down everything that happened in that divisional round game between the Bills and the Bengals. And hopefully, Luca, we're talking about a Bills team that's on their way to their second conference championship game in three years. Oh, please. Like, please, please, please. And the fact that it could potentially not or it's not even potential, like the fact that if we were to get through the Bengals, which is obviously a pretty big if because who knows what's going to happen. But if we are to get through to the Bengals, we know that at least we don't have to go to Arrowhead. And that gives me a nice little safety blanket and being like, well, you still have to play the Chiefs, but you don't have to go to Arrowhead to do it. That's kind of nice. You don't get it at home, but as long as it's not at Arrowhead, 
I'm much, much happier with that whole situation. And then if on the off chance this year, Cinderella, the Jags in a similar spot like the Bengals last year can pull off that upset over the one seed. It just comes back to Orchard Park. If you can still handle your business and get through the Bengals, that would be great. And a, a conference championship in Buffalo, just as we predicted before the season and not against the Chiefs. Yeah, I'll sign me up. <laughs> so it's going to be wow. a fun week to think about it. It's going to be fun to get to this game. It's going to be nervy the entire time. And uh, I'm just thankful we have a game to be nervous about after what we all experienced today. Um, so, yeah, thank thank goodness for that. There's only eight teams alive in the NFL next week, and the Bills are one of those, and they've been one of those final eight teams three years in a row. Enjoy this ride, folks. Um, whether or not it ends in a Super Bowl, we all hope it does, but this is a very fun time to be a Bills fan. They are a relevant team. They are an upper echelon team, and we obviously hope that right now, while they have this wizard at quarterback, they're able to give us that Super Bowl parade sooner rather than later. Hopefully they can get there this year. We'll see what happens, but... For Luca, I am Josh. We will see you next week on Bill's Chat on the Built-in Buffalo Podcast Network.